Welcome to debate number two of the Citadel debate series. Today's debate is on balance. Green energy policies hurt the global poor. For any audience member wondering what on balance means, it just means overall, all things considered. So at the end of it, you think 51% hurts the global poor, you would agree on the pro side. Speaking of the pro side is Philosophical Zombie Hunter, aka PZH, and on the con is Trader. You guys have agreed to do the partial formal. So we will start with a quick opening line from each of you. You have four minutes to do it, although I'm guessing it'll be under that. But in any case, uh, we will start off with the pro side, PZH. When you are ready, you have uh, four minutes to make your argument. Okay, give me a sec. So I made like a small uh, thing for some diagrams because it's it's gonna be like some some uh, evidence heavy to some degree, but I'll I'll start anyway. Um, so I just like to tell like a story a story in four parts. Um, last in. Last year in October, October 2021, uh, the UK experienced uh, a spike in energy prices. Turns out that uh, during that year, we had low winds. Now, the UK had invested a lot in uh, wind turbines, and it also shut off its coal uh, coal mines, which is uh, important for the UK because the UK has a lot of coal, always had ha- had had a lot of coal. But it chose to shut it down for green energy policies. As a result of shutting down its coal and investing heavily in wind, and we had low wind during that year, uh, we had an issue with uh, energy, and we needed natural gas, which was one of the remaining options in the energy mix to compensate if we don't have enough from the other sources. Uh, normally, we would borrow from our neighbors, our neighboring countries, but apparently everyone else had the same problem as we did, and energy prices spiked. Uh, This resulted in um, seven of our energy companies in the UK going bankrupt, including the one I was uh, on. I was moved on to another company that, at the time, I was on a very good rate. When I moved uh, forcefully to another company, I got a rate that was two and a half, three times more Uh, to pay for the energy than I was before. Uh, I wasn't unique in this sense, and over time, those energy prices went even further. And uh, around the start of the year, uh, in 2022, uh, we had issues with uh, the elderly who are on fixed income, the poor, um, making decisions between buying food or paying for heat. That's one of the elements how this hurts the poor. Uh, In addition, uh, companies in the UK noticed that uh, their um, energy prices were exceeding their rents, and uh, a lot of them closed down, again, hurting the poor who were hired by those companies. Uh, On the continent of Europe, uh, Germany was suffering something similar. Its energy sector had to... Sorry, it's... uh, Aluminium sector had to stop smelting as much because energy was just very expensive. 
and Volkswagen, which is the second largest car manufacturer in the world, sometime recently said that it would leave Germany and it would not come back to the continent because of high energy prices. It would invest in other places. In a sense, Europe, including the UK, are deindustrializing. This, this loss of jobs, again, hurts the poor. But Europe does have a lot of money to currently to uh, pay for natural gas and buy it from wherever it can around the world. Other countries are not so lucky. Sri Lanka, for example, uh, due to high energy prices because it needs to import fossil fuels and uh, the price of synthetic fertilizer, which is based, which is made from fossil fuels. Um, it, uh, the country wasn't able to pull those in, to import those in, and um, it collapsed economically and politically against hurting the poor. Uh, I had another point about people in Africa, but I'm going to have to delay that to the rest of the talk, but that's, that's my opening. All right. Okay. Trader? Okay, so I'll just uh, probably keep it under four, just respond to a few things that I noticed from the opening. Um, the first thing that I think stood out the most was you entirely focused on present-day costs of energy policies. But when we're looking on balance, the reason why these energy policies are being implemented is primarily to avoid future costs from climate change. Um, and I could agree that the present-day uh, green policies, they, they are costly versus a situation where we have no green policies at all. Um, it does increase energy prices. It does create disruption in job markets. Um, people who were in the oil and gas industry before, um, a lot of them had to find new jobs. So I, I won't dispute the fact that there are costs today um, and that many of these costs are, you know, they're, they're borne by the poorest people in any given society. Um, but I think when we look on the other side of the equation, which is uh, the medium to long term effects that climate change is going to have, um, and especially the fact that these effects are going to primarily hurt the global poor, um, then I think it becomes pretty clear that the costs that we have today for these policies, which definitely exist, um, they're nothing in comparison to how bad things are going to be in a no action situation in terms of climate change. Primarily, I'll be talking about things that are like by 2050, by 2100, in the no action scenario. Um, and obviously there's still going to be negative impacts from climate change, even in a situation where we do continue our green policies and even add more on top of it. Um, but the difference between these two scenarios is massive. And it's not about you know people on a low income having to uh, balance their budget between like food and heat. It, we're talking, hundreds of millions of climate migrants creating migration crises that we've never seen before. And we have no idea how we're even going to start to approach it. Um, entire ecosystems are going to collapse. Political structures are going to become completely unstable. A large swaths of land that are currently densely populated are going to be uninhabitable. And these are all things that we can mitigate through action today. And so even though there are present day costs, they're nothing compared to the eventual costs that they're gonna, you know, that we can avoid by using them. Um, and I'll add my statement there. We can get into the back. All right. 
Yeah, so since we're already kind of doing getting a little bit of back and forth, so I guess I'll let PZH make the call as they wish. You can have an uninterrupted reply period, and then Trader can do the same, or we can just kind of start weeing it from here. But either case, you have the floor, PZH. We can do the back and forth now. Um, so I've mentioned a few points that um, we have we have had a country that was unable to import fossil fuels collapse economically and financially so sri lanka we do mm-hmm. have currently uh people earning under let's say there's six billion people on the planet earning under than ten dollars a day three billion people have unreliable access to energy or the the access to energy they have currently is the same as a american refrigerator and of those three billion uh, eight eight hundred billion don't have access to energy at all so i'm assuming their lives are not the same quality of life as people in Europe. <clears throat> and the question really is, you have a hypothetical scenario based on computer models largely that's saying all these things will happen in the future. So the question is, how many people are you okay to die now for a hypothetical future where many more will die? Um, well, I mean, when you say hypothetical, I, I don't think that the implication that this is like uncertain is warranted because i mean for example just well, but could, con- could you answer the question though could you answer the question well i mean if it turned out to be the case that current green policies increase energy prices and we'd expect say um ten thousand people to die today uh, as a res- as a direct result of increased energy prices um and we expected that uh that difference to save Five million people over the next fifty years, then I'd be—I'd say that yes, we should do that policy. Um, okay, and I think so- that that is—that is about the scale that we're dealing with. Like, I think that the magnitude of costs is like several orders of magnitude higher for climate change versus like present economic issues. Okay, so you have some catastrophic uh, picture in the future, and you're saying the things we do now justify actions that prevent that thing in the future. Including and and you are in addition to to that statement, you're also happy that uh, the price of fossil fuels obviously are are going up. That means that people use less of them and will be forced to move away from them. That, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, even at the cost of if people don't have uh, heat this winter and they might freeze to death uh, on the continent of Europe, which is a you know obviously relatively rich continent, that is a price worth paying for this catastrophic future you have in mind i mean i'll just say yes it just is because especially when we look at the numbers involved between you know the number of people who are dying in europe because of lack of heat versus uh, the number of people that we expect to die in 2050 from climate disasters it's like they're not even comparable they're not even remotely comparable okay are you aware that um in the last uh, that climate is deaths from climate disasters are down 98%. Could you explain that? I can even give you a graph if you like. Hold on. Just what what do you mean by climate disasters and over what period are they down yeah, 98%? Give me I, I find it pretty hard to believe just Sure, sure. Give me a second. I'll put a graph for you. Is this the right one? Yeah, so climate-related deaths, floods, droughts, storms, wildfires, extreme temperatures, they're down by 98%. 
Were you aware of that? Deaths per year, average per decade. Hold on. I just have to read the explanation. Yeah. Take your time. I'll take a drink. Is this uh, specifically, is this, uh, this is global, right? Yes. Well, I mean, I'd say there's a there's a few confounding variables here, which is like one is that uh, just the level of development, economic development in the world since, you know, this graph starts at 1920. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and we've just made huge strides in infrastructure, huge strides in just like standards of living across the world. So mm -hmm. just from that, which is like that factor has no bearing on changes in the environment, because if you actually looked at instead frequency of, of climate related disasters, they are on an uptrend. And that's part of what goes let's, into these models that we know that these are going to increase in the future as well. Let's put a pin on the frequency because I'll dispute that for But let's let's just continue with the sign for now and I'll get back to frequency later. You mentioned that we're able to adapt to the environment and as a result, less people die. Why can't we continue adapting to the environment and as a result, fewer people will die? Because the magnitude and frequency are going to increase at a faster rate than they have in the past. This is going and How at, do you know this? It's, it's based on the, the climate models. I'm not a climate scientist, but there is very large consensus in the field that these models, you know, are uh, the best we can do in, at predicting these things. Like, we have which, very which, high confidence uh, of a lot of things. Which climate model predicts catastrophe? Because there are, I've seen the climate models, I've read the IPCC data, and yeah. they're all basically the, the, the trend, if I could uh, summarize in a sentence, is um, not without risk, but manageable, I think is the sentence that the IPCC used. So where is this climate catastrophe coming from, is my question. At what, what parts, what CO2 parts per million number do we start hitting catastrophe uh well i mean wh the, where is this where recent, is this uh, most recent ipcc report which i was just reading in preparation for this they do say they show their confidence level of different predictions mm -hmm. um and they do say i could try to find the exact sentence but i know that they assign high confidence to the idea that there is going to be an increase in uh climate disasters an increase in the frequency due right, to but does that translate to that uh, does that translate to deaths per se? Say, for example, um, let's say let's say there's yeah, a flood. Does. Yeah, let's say mm -hmm. there's a flood. Let's say there's a flood in in like a part of Europe and a flood in 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 Haiti. Now Haiti, for example, you know, the last flood that was there killed ten thousand people, but a flood in Europe would not. Like they have stronger houses, they have they can have like water dikes and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it, well, this is. It would cost. It would cost some money to you know one of the qualifications of our debate statement, which is the global poor. The global poor don't have the infrastructure to deal with the scale of natural disasters that are going to happen. Like for example, in Bangladesh, the IPCC report says yeah. by 2050, since they're in sort of like lowland, a lot of their lands is, are like low at sea level or below in some cases. Um, Ten percent of the population is going to be displaced by flooding over the next. I guess it's less than 30 years now. Amsterdam um, is already below sea level. It's not being flooded. Right, but they don't have the they don't have the climate events and the and just generally raising of sea level also makes flooding more likely, more common. No, they they are currently below sea levels. They can have flooding if they didn't do anything about it. Amsterdam and the Netherlands they would large parts of it would be flooded currently, but it is not. 
Do you know why? Well, that's Amsterdam and the Netherlands where they have, you know, better infrastructure. They can build, you right. know, so, bubbies and, and seawalls, things like that. They want to. So we, like, we agree. Bangladesh, we, Bangladesh we, doesn't have that infrastructure in place. We agree that infrastructure can help save lives, yes? Yes, but it can't be developed in time. What does infrastructure need to be developed? I don't know the exact infrastructure projects that Bangladesh let's just, let's needs, just, sorry, but let's I just, do know it, that in the, report, the, reports, the report is saying that the best option for these people is to leave. They're not saying, right, so let's, oh, let's build all these things here. They're saying these lands are going to be uninhabitable <laughs> in Trader, 30 years. Trader, give me a second here. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the topic. I'm just trying to explain it to you. So let's let's just say, would to build infrastructure, let's say you need heavy machinery, yeah? Like diggers, tractors, stuff that moves large rocks from point A to point B. And concrete and all that kind of stuff to build infrastructure. Yeah, I'm talking in general. There's no, I'm not pinning you on specifics or anything. Okay, sure. And would you agree that that needs fossil fuels or energy to move, power those machinery to build that sure. infrastructure? Yeah. So if we fine. had, let's say, an abundance of energy, like unlimited right now, and Bangladesh needed to, you know, in 50 years build infrastructure, do you think that? And in addition, let's say to building infrastructure, it needed to improve its its economy, its GDP. Do you think that energy or unlimited energy would help in both those cases, and therefore help them adapt to the environment? I mean, it, it would help. It wouldn't be enough. How if you're know? saying, if you're putting forward the hypothetical of like them having like post scarcity, like infinite resources, then like okay, sure, they could build like a giant dome over their entire country, but like. That's not okay. that's not a realistic case. The realistic case is even if energy was at, you know, uh, cheaper levels, like if energy prices drop by 30%, it's not going to be enough for Bangladesh to mitigate the impending climate catastrophe. That's right at its doorstep. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to have to like pause the direction of the debate and, and like just try to get you to justify this catastrophe because you have something in your, in your head that's not accurate. So I'm going to have you to ask you to justify where you're getting this catastrophe from, who's saying that there is will be a catastrophe and that we cannot adapt to it fast enough. Um, so I, I read this on the IPC site. Um, mm -hmm. I can, if you give me a second, I can find the actual uh, paragraph that I'm reading from. But I mean, just while I'm looking for this. Uh, well, I need an. Uh, tell tell them. Tell you what. Give me a temperature, or give me a parts per million. Let's do it this way. Sure. How much, okay. I, what, what, I is the that, what is the current percentage of CO two in the atmosphere? I don't know that. I could tell you the current level of warming from our baseline. Okay. From but, but we're arguing. Know. We're arguing obviously over emissions, and and the emissions in the atmosphere is what is then leading to to warming what is the yeah current? but i don't i don't think we need to focus on that particular metric when well, we I know there's a high correlation between that and temperature and i can tell you our temperature today is 1.1 degrees celsius over the end of the 19th century um right so in 140 the, the, in 142 years we've increased or the as a result of co2 let's say i'm not going to argue this point I'll, I'll i'll agree as a result of us, you know, industrializing and using uh, various forms of energy. In the last mm -hmm. 142 years, we've increased by 1.1 Celsius. I agree completely. 
Okay. So, so the and I, I would answer the question saying that currently in the atmosphere, the the percentage of the atmosphere that's CO two is zero point zero four percent or four hundred parts per million. Okay. So what what parts per million figure do we start seeing disasters that we should avoid? You're asking me for the specific parts per mil. I can tell you in terms of temperature raises. Okay. But Which I, I would like, like would the parts per. I would like the parts per million why? because that's why relevant to emissions. That? I mean, it's relevant, but why do you need that specific number? I feel like you're just trying to like pin me down on like minutia to like that's, get me in a corner, but like it's not really important for what we're talking about. Because I can give so, you the, I can give you. The well, I'll, I'll answer your question. I'll answer your question. So you're saying that we need to let thousands of people die in the present. We need to do spend trillions of dollars to avoid something that can happen in the future. I'm asking for like a tipping point. Or some so even in the models, and I am happy yeah? to provide that. Um, I can give okay. you the actual numbers in terms of temperature increases. I can give that to you. No, I need to. I need in parts per million relevant emissions. Why? Because we are arguing over using energy that produces emissions. Or okay, or so I mean, can can you agree to this? Can you say that? Do you think that there is a high correlation between our emissions and increases in global temperature over time? I've already agreed to that. Okay, so if we if we agree that there's this high correlation, then mm-hmm. why do you need one number versus the other? Which I admit I don't know the particular part per million that will correspond to different temperature increases. And actually, it's it doesn't even make a whole lot of sense to use that metric because for a given part per million number, mm-hmm. uh, it's not like you know we've emitted this much this many parts per million, and there, therefore there's this exact stable temperature over time. Because what impacts the climate? or what impacts like all of these effects directly is the actual temperature, not the parts sure, per million. Sure, but you just, you so just agreed. You, you just made the case that there's a connection between emissions and temperature, right? So I did, I'm just, yeah. I'm just, and you're saying the temperature causes this thing. I'm not, not disputing so, that. Okay, so, so I'm just, just asking clear, like, if, if, you, if, if you're I saying, you, yeah, go on. If I tell you that right now we're at 1.1 degrees Celsius above baseline and that, I can tell you the different predictions that are going to happen if we keep it under two degrees Celsius by 2100. I can tell you how much worse those are going to be by if we if it was instead four degrees Celsius by no, 2100. I, I, I do. I can I tell you need... that that difference is going to be made by our policies now in terms of emissions. But you're going to say you don't care about any of that because I can't give you the exact parts per million that correspond with these numbers. Look, you, you have all these models, right? The models necessarily. You have five different models from the IPCC. The models necessarily double or triple the parts per million. That's how they are based. That's how they are calculated. So they take like the, the planet and said like a scenario, what happens if we continue the trajectory of this particular uh, emissions or, or you know, CO2? Mm-hmm. And then they, do, they, have eight, they have five different scenarios. So ju- I'm just asking you, of the, this is, I don't think I'm tricking you or anything like this. this is just a... Obviously, obviously, the, you would argue that the more emissions we have, the more temperature we have, and you've and you've said there is a connection between the two already. So, from from the emissions that we are emitting as a result of needing to use fossil fuels, what is the tipping point that we have this disaster that millions die, displaced, flooded? Well, to be clear, to be clear, it's not a matter of a tipping point. It's a matter of incremental increases in sure. the frequency of these disasters. When does it become so, really bad? I mean, to be clear, the the Bangladesh. Uh, catastrophe that's like pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point we're not really avoiding it that's like a near-term disaster that's going to happen 
But I put that forward as an example of the type of things that climate change is going to cause and the difference between us reaching a level of two degrees warming by 2100 well, I would argue the sort of like no action case, which would be four degrees, is going to be an increased frequency of major events like that. Um, so there's no what? tipping point. There's no tipping point. It's okay. Okay. Every, so I, every I need to understand. 0.1 degrees Celsius is going to be additional, you know, human and economic disaster. Okay, sure. I but you're saying but you're saying four degrees Celsius. That means we're doubling the CO two to eight hundred parts per million. I to be. I mean, because that's that's. I, the, I don't I, know. If you gave me the IPCC. You gave me the worst. That. I don't think that really matters. I am telling you. I'm telling you that you, you just chose the highest IPCC option. Well, and to that's, be clear, that's doubling. That, uh, that option, okay, the four and their range that they give is it's like 2.8 to 6.2 degrees, which is the no action scenario, which is what the scenario no, what that does you no action mean, though. It means we no... stop doing we stop doing green policies. We just let the market do what the market will do. Um, can you, that's, can how you get, read, that's how they get that. For, can you read the IPCC report when it comes to adaptation? Because they have. Because if you if you've listened to the the head of the IPCC from the UN side, he repeatedly calls recently for more adaptation in poorer countries in Bangladesh in uh, Africa. That means oh. that these countries have to grow their GDP and build their infrastructure. That's the part of adaptation, right. and they can't do that without access to cheap energy. It's it's literally a one to one. I right? mean, they they can they can. It's literally a one. If, if I can just finish, it's literally a one to one. If they don't have access to cheap energy, they can't power machines. They can't. No, it's grow not their one to one. They can't grow their economy. They're not going to do it by hand. It's not one to one. There's already programs in place, which I agree they do need more funding. They need more. Uh, countries supporting it but there are they, they don't okay okay assist these countries that are most vulnerable with okay hold on infrastructure. so you're saying foreign aid, cheaper is by are you saying foreign aid, aid are you saying foreign aid is going to fix the problem sorry is that is that the implication <laughs> no, I'm not, no i'm not saying it's going to fix the problem i'm saying you made the case that yeah. their ability to develop infrastructure for adapting to climate change is one to one with energy prices. The idea no, that if we increase energy prices, we decrease the infrastructure these people have. I'm but saying that energy. I'm saying that energy. I'm saying that energy. So, are you familiar with EROI and energy return on investment? Uh, I'm not, but I guess. Are you familiar with en energy economics? A little bit. Sure. Cool. So, basic, basically, if for for just just in general just in in like abstract philosophical terms you need energy to power machines right machines need machine food and when machines the yeah. more machines you have the more uh, output that machines can produce either in terms of uh, agriculture or in terms of like uh, building machines that that build like concrete and infrastructure and stuff or machines that just produce stuff they need machine energy and machine energy is 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 can be in this case de depending on what either electricity or, or fuel or stuff like that right there is a lot of evidence and it's it's pretty much like a foregone conclusion that the more energy you have or the more access to energy you have the higher your gdp can increase as a result of this structure of machines yeah yeah of course o okay so and we need more people to have access to that for them to improve their economy and then be able to afford to build more infrastructure is that an okay statement no, to say, or that's where I disagree with that. We don't need you disagree that. with that. Okay, so I why, do agree why? in a vacuum. All you said that all of that just came to the conclusion that in a vacuum, cheaper energy equals increased GDP. Of course, that's true, but okay. 
it seems like you're trying to make the case that the only way for these countries to develop the infrastructure they need to adapt to climate change in you know an appropriate way is mm-hmm. for there to be lower energy prices. I agree that that's one way that they could accomplish that, but it's okay. not the only way. You can, like I said before, you have I'm international all, aid, and that doesn't have the secondary effect of increasing the problem that they're trying to address globally. So I'm all, I'm all ears. What else? The, uh, what are the other ways of improving their infrastructure to, to adapt to the environment that is not to do with them improving their eco- economy? Well, I mean, like I said, the international aid is the option. So foreign aid. Nice. Foreign aid, yeah. yeah? Okay, sure. cool. Yeah. So when has far so you have this like kind of white European approach that we can send the money and that will solve the problem. I I've I've run into this before. Can you can you explain to me how that worked? Because as far as I know, all the foreign aid that has gone to Africa has basically gone nowhere. It's been a sunk cost. And there's a lot of arguments over which foreign aid, which which programs help, which programs hurt. So some foreign aid just I mean, goes okay, nowhere. Could, some, let this, me just finish for I a second. I could turn this right back on you though with let me just finish my prices. let me just finish my argument. Okay, Some sure. foreign aid hurts hurts the the locals by saying we're gonna give you free stuff, then the people like who, who earned the living making that stuff before are out of a job. So far there've been there's been a lot of foreign aid and nothing has changed and in particular nothing has changed in terms of infrastructure and energy and stuff like that. So why do you think that pumping money and, and and you can also tell me how much money you think like is it is it one trillion is it ten trillion is it twenty trillion into the continent of Africa let's say because right now for example there are uh, children or premature babies sitting in in hospital in incubators that do not have access to reliable energy and when the energy is out the incubator cannot warm them anymore and they die and that's just a fact just a fact mm-hmm. of what there is at the moment. And even if you had, like, let's say, solar there, at nighttime they won't have solar there, and they won't have access to reliable energy. Most of the people, I don't know if most, but a large number of people in Africa have access to heat only through uh, cutting down trees and animal dung, just for cooking. So we are currently, we are hurting these people, we are hurting these people right now for your energy policies. I'm not denying that uh, increased energy costs will have very real costs it will affect people in a very real way. But I mean, I can give you the example of what we're expecting by 2050. This is the consensus, like average estimate is that we're going to have 200 million climate migrants by year 2050. You know, I, I feel terrible for the people who the babies in incubators, but like 200 million migrants is going to be a global crisis, an unprecedented global crisis. Look, there's and, no consensus on the climate catastrophe models. There's no, there's well, no there's scientific a, consensus there's on it. There's not a consensus, but there's a range of estimates by people who study this, and that's sort of the middle estimate. There, there is a, there high, is a list of... There is a list of as, let me tell you what there is. Billion, so, some go as low as 20 million. Let me, uh, let me tell you what there is. 20 million is a massive issue. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm going to disagree that you have evidence or, or, or accurate evidence that says there's going to be climate catastrophes. And in addition to that, I'm going to disagree that if we if we uh, project the current rates of increased GDPs, that uh, sorry, that your estimates say we do nothing, not only in terms of like uh, reducing uh, emissions, but also do nothing in terms of adapting to the environment, in terms of building infrastructure that protect us from the environment. So, so your whole modeling, the models that you're using, is from a very small number of the 
of, of research. It's not, there is no scientific consensus around it. There's no scientific consensus around the climate catastrophe. There is around warming. There is around the connection between CO2 and warming. But the, the catastrophe part specifically is hyped up or overly hyped up. The numbers you're giving me are scenarios where we, where we don't, where we don't adapt to the environment. That, that is a fact. I've just given you a trend that you, you seem to be ignoring completely that we are getting better and better at adapting to the environment. We are, but there's some things that we cannot adapt to, and especially if you look at it region by region. Give me, give me one thing. Give me one thing. Just one thing. The expansion of deserts. So one of the things that goes part and parcel with warming is that deserts, especially in equatorial, obviously in equatorial areas, start expanding. And okay, so, so areas two, that two could points. support crops before, could support life, are now inhabitable. You can't live there. Okay, two and points. there's no, like, do you expect these extremely let poor me your, to let me do, like, cloud seeding, like, like Saudi Arabia? Allow me to answer your point. So you're saying in, uh, deserts will expand, but I can also say that green areas will expand somewhere else where they were too cold to, to be there before. Sure, so let but, me... but where are those areas? Sorry? Where are the areas that are now expanding to, you know, support life, support agriculture? Well, if, if okay, so would you agree right now? I, I can, I, that's a rhetorical question I can answer. It's going to be in, you know, the, the far north and far south. And, in, you know, there's many more people who are like in the northern hemisphere. There's a lot more land in the far north. Um, I guess you have Australia, but like these are rich areas generally. It's going to be Canada and northern Europe. That are oh, you're, you're concerned about you're more concerned about rich habitable. areas and poor areas. Well, the topic of this debate is the effect on the global poor. Great. And okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is equatorial areas are going to become far more inhospitable to agriculture, to just human settlement. Got and it. we're going to get some new areas in I understand. Like Sweden, I understand. and Norway. I understand. You know? Well, Norway is already like some green areas. I understand, but would you agree right now that even in the the poorer areas, more people die to cold than they do to heat. Um, like like nine times I more. Know, I don't know the numbers. Well, in, look, at, poor, look at voice, look at voice areas, I guess. So, for example, India, right? India has times of the year, or or specific city in India that gets very very hot once a you know a few months of the year. But in general, like and you know, as a result, people could could uh, get affected by that. But as a, but in general, more people in India die of cold than they do of heat because they don't have access to to energy okay. or like what's some parts the, of it. Sorry, I said okay, that's fine. But what's uh... right? But nine times more people die of cold than they do of heat. Okay. Okay. So now, with regards to so obviously it affects them in, in the present. Now, with regards to agriculture. We talked, I talked a bit about synthetic fertilizer, right? But should we have access to synthetic fertilizer? And even if we have very arid lands, we can still irrigate them. Irrigation means, or drip irrigation means very little water, very little uh, fertilizer. We can basically grow uh, food in a, in a desert environment right now without Where does the water come from? Well, we would, we would get that water. It, it, it can either be delivered or something like that, but with drip irrigation, okay. well, I mean, that, okay. we can so grow. You have, this, you have right, this well, you're region that you would have come from. Rain. It would come from a truck that's powered by fuel. What do you mean? So we're gonna we're gonna truck in. You know, you know how expensive it is to truck that much water. How much is the price of, of energy? Miles that you need how, to get it here. 
I'm not saying hundreds of miles, but we do have, I mean, you can, in areas well, where I mean, slightly... Well, I would need that because these areas that are going to, that currently have arable land in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, for example, they're... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I, I didn't mean, deserts. I didn't mean sub-Saharan Africa, but even in, you know, the, the edges of sub-Saharan Africa, there's access to some water. And for example, well, I don't want to use this example right now, but there are access to uh, water in some parts of, of sub-Saharan. I'm not saying we have to green all of sub-Saharan Africa for my claim to be right. But if you're saying some uh, lands become drier, we can use drip irrigation to still keep those lands growing. But here, here's the issue. So besides yeah. just transporting the water there, the, this was something that's also in the IBCC report. They say that they have high confidence in this finding that the available uh, fresh water mm-hmm. um, from rivers is going to decrease by 20% by 2050. And so, on what model? On which model? They just said it was high confidence in their in their. On summary. which of the five I models? I, I can't cite you the exact model, but right, I mean, so right right now. Okay, so right now, for example, is it true that most of the countries in the West are actually emitting less CO two than the nineteen forties? Uh, could be. Uh, we're going down in we're going down in CO two emissions. Is that is that right or wrong? Well, I, I believe we peaked globally for CO2 emissions in like the like 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know country by country. So the West and Europe basically halved. I don't know, like, but it, the trend is going down. I, I can find the... Uh, how is this at all related to what it, the point I was making about water and how... So, so the point that you're... going to save these regions makes no allow sense. Me to, allow me to answer your question. So it relates to the point you're making about water. Because you're choosing from the models the highest, the worst one. And if you look at the trend of, of reducing not. CO2, if you're looking at the trend of reducing CO2 emissions, you would go for one of the more middle trends, which is a much more lighter trend. I, I don't believe I'm taking that, the 20% reduction in freshwater from, all your, look, from the highest let, let me, let me Let me summarize it for a second. All your claims are essentially bullshit. Because you're taking the worst of the worst, you're using imaginary numbers. You have nothing to I'm prove not. your point. You're taking. You have nothing to prove your point. Be clear. You're not giving me parts per million. You're not giving me anything. You're just like making these outrageous emotional claims based on uh, computer models that this will happen if we don't do anything. But we are doing something. We're we're both doing something in terms of reducing emission, and we're both doing something in terms of adapting to the environment. And the faster we adapt to the environment, the, the fewer people will die. As a fact, as a trend. So your claim is essentially bullshit. Uh, there's nothing for me to respond to because it's just based on nothing. Okay. It's based on thin air. So okay, so you made you made a bunch of assumptions there, which aren't true. Like the main one being that the that claim specifically, the one that I feel like uh, you can't respond to because your claim about using drip irrigation to save these like areas that are going to be desert makes no sense. And the twenty percent reduction in fresh water access from rivers. The IPCC said they they have like different confidence ratings for different predictions that they're making. And Mm -hmm. the ones that are based on like the edges of like the most extreme model, they'll they'll call that low confidence. They'll say that there's a chance this will happen, but we're not sure. And then other ones, ones where this is the case in pretty much all the models, um, they'll call that high confidence. So this is one that drip so drip irrigation uses a fraction of the water. Drip irrigation uses a, fact, a fraction of the water it needed before. If the water goes down by 20%, just for argument's sake, yeah? 
the water goes down by 20%. Well, we're using like 10% uh, of the water we used before for drip irrigation. And we can still grow in the same area. So I don't see an issue. But the idea here is these are regions that now have no water. They have no arable you land. You said 20% less. You said 20% less, no, right? No, walk you through this, okay? So walk me these, through areas this, have, these, these areas have no water because they're in the regions that are now desert because of the expanding desert. No, you said 20% so, less fresh water. No, I'll get right? there. Okay. If you want them to walk through it, you need to let them do it uninterrupted. So trader, keep going. Okay, so your solution was we bring in water from an external source, we truck it in, and then use drip irrigation so that they don't have to use much water and they can support crops in this now desert land. Look, you're um, jumping. You're jumping from a few things well, because you're okay. saying now we're just yeah, now we're in the Sahara. You need to let them walk through it. So you need to stop talking so they can finish. So the issue with this is where you're tre trekking the water from. Um, they're they're the ones who now have a reduction in their fresh water source. Their fresh water source has been reduced by twenty percent. There's other regions that are facing the same thing. There's competition for water now because everyone's trying to get water. Um, and so it's going to be, it's not an easy matter of, oh, just truck it in. There's going to be a global shortage of fresh water. And there's going to be a lot of difficulty in transporting the salt. It's not just, oh, just truck it to this extremely poor, isolated region. It just doesn't work like that. It's like such an oversimplification. And I mean, yeah, you could respond to that, that point. Right. Basically. So basically, I, I think, I think you're obviously you are doing immense oversimplification now. If you're, you, you've said that if, and a region gets 20% less fresh water. I said if we use the more advanced uh, farming methods, we can use a fraction of the water we're doing now. So you're saying that's 20% less water, but there's still 80% of what there was before. And if you move to a, a, a more advanced uh, irrigation methods, then you can use 10% of the water you needed before. That means there should be enough water for everyone in that region. I'm not saying we are now required to irrigate the Sahara, Sahara Desert, but even if you take trucking, you can have regions in the world that's more productive at producing food, and you can truck food to areas where there's less food. We do that currently. It's not that, that every single place on the planet has uh, farms and, 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 and like areas of producing food right next to it. We do you know, division of labor. We do like uh, produce more food in some areas. We put those on trucks, and we feed, get access to food to people who need it. So, in both cases, fairly simple changes in technology could help you could help the local people, especially if they are earning more money, increasing their uh, GDP in their economy to be able to then bring in more food should should they need it. And if they need to make like you know all these kind of like stuff you see in in cities where they make these farms in like the middle of the cities or on the roof of something or like a farm so i don't know all these kinds of like new innovations oh. when it comes to when it comes to making food in like in in a more inhabited area you you so can still I, have, I you could still have those kinds in theory you can still have those kinds of things where you have advanced technology making food in in, in areas where there's uh, more difficult to get resources or you can just transport the food itself so I feel like there's a few things that you're glossing over when you say that these are just a few simple changes. You're, it's almost as if you're imagining that these poor regions have infrastructure on par with like Western Europe or even better, that they can just truck these things around very efficiently, get you know food fresh to where it needs to be in these like isolated poor regions. That's just not the case. They just don't have I'm the I'm not saying they need Trader Joe's to, 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 to deliver to them. 
how do they so, get the certainly food? you can truck certainly you can truck rice to to people you can truck certain form of, i'm not saying you need like you know organic food delivered european style to to every part of the planet but with regards to like you know make make producing food distributing i mean food, even we're, even we're that, good it, at that. Seems, i mean i'm i'm sorry but just this world that you're envisioning just seems kind of absurd that there's these people who are now living in well, the, the world the that you're envisioning is absurd now and they were poor the world, before. It's, it's not a desert now. It's food. And they're not getting like weekly trucks of rice in, and they're all just living on that and all just like happy. Like, I just don't see that as at all a realistic situation. And the more realistic situation is these people are out in the middle of nowhere. They're isolated and their food stops growing. It starts getting a lot hotter and they start to starve. And so then they well, leave I dis- I dis- their settlement and they move somewhere else looking for a place. I disagree with your assessment. Survive. So far, you haven't said anything about this. You said the water will go down by 20%. I've covered certain things you can do. Should that be the case? You saying that now they are a desert is an oversimplification and, and catastrophizing the situation as well. To be clear, that's now we, now we, we yeah. have, for example, in, even in Europe, we have food transported from us from all parts of the world. We can have food from South America, food from, Argent, food from yes, uh, Taiwan. Europe. So, so the, the movement, the, the trucking and movement of food is already happening. And we're already we're talking getting about the global food. poor. Europe isn't I, Europe I appreciate that. And I'm as a very small share of the global poor. I appreciate that we're talking about the global poor. But I'm just saying we already have a large logistics infrastructure for the transportation of food. And should the global poor be able to access more of it through their economy improving, their quality of life will improve, even if their conditions are harsher. If their conditions are harsh, they can improve their infrastructure to adapt to that. To adapt to that. And do you, I mean, like, it, it just seems crazy to me. Like, do you actually believe that these poor areas, the the poorest areas of Africa, of Asia, that they're going to develop all this infrastructure, these highways, that they can transport food very efficiently from all over the world, transport water around? That they're going to develop all this infrastructure by in the next thirty years, even sooner. Because like, I think if we, already, I think if we, unle- I think if, I think if we unleashed the content of Africa, I think the people in Africa are very hardworking. I think they're very uh, entrepreneurial. I think currently the people in Africa have a few issues with regards to the local governments and how they are uh, hindering them in, in in developing their economy. Certainly, access to energy is a very important part of it. Because right now, if you know, if you're chopping down trees and using animal dung to just, uh, you know, make food and keep yourself warm, then it's a bit, a little bit difficult, you know, thinking about how you're going to make a, a factory that produces this, and then you can sell to the locals to then, you know, be more uh, live, live better quality of life. Uh, so all this like needs to happen, and it needs to take time. But for example, if the West says as per the green energy policies, we are not giving you money or we are reducing the energy production in other parts of the world so that the energy that would have reached you is now more expensive than they are less able. To... When is the US when is the US reducing energy produced in other parts of the world? What policy so are for, they using? So for example, if if uh, we stop using things like coal or if we stop if we reduce uh, fracking, or if you reduce the extraction of fossil fuel from the ground, then that will cause demand to uh, the supply is going down. Sorry, then it cause demand to go up. At least in these countries, they would have bought that. But if that 
that is no longer available, then they could not uh, afford to pull it from other parts of the globe to, to then reach Africa. If the energy isn't cheap, if it's not readily available, then they can't. They don't have access. I to mean, it. The, the U.S. and Europe—they're not just. First off, I mean, what you said before was that the U.S. is reducing supply from around the world, and then you said U.S. is just reducing their own supply, which is different. And then the other thing too is. The U.S. Well, is also producing domestic demand also through, and Europe is doing the same. Like, I know Europe has different carbon tax policies to reduce domestic demand. Um, so it's not as if they're just pushing in one direction. And I think it's actually not completely clear the effect that green policies in the U.S. and Europe will have on energy prices for, you know, Africa, for example. Um, because well, they like are reducing it, supply, but they're also reducing demand at the same time. They are not reducing demand. That's that is obvious for the price of energy going up. There was a there was a plan that it the demand of fossil fuels will go down in the U.S. and therefore some refineries close down as as a as a result to that sort of prediction in the future. But obviously, demand even for oil has gone up to more than uh, they planned, and but the capacity was not there. So the demand but, I mean, is still going. The demand is still. Let me like let me look. I I really do need to finish what I was saying. So the demand is going up. We are res- green energy policies are re- restricting supply in the sense that in the Europe, let's let's say, uh, we we've stopped. Well, we haven't stopped. We've increased recently, but in theory, we should have stopped uh, using coal. It's just that recently prices have gone up. So countries like Germany have reopened some coal factories. Otherwise, they would have severe uh, energy prices. Uh, but in theory, uh, there's a plan to uh, stop using coal. Just leave it in the ground. There's a plan. We don't have fracking on the continent. That is not allowed. We have fracking um, on the shores, on the in the sea around the continent, but not on the continent. Uh, whereas America doesn't have that issue. Uh, we and the fact that we are leaving these energies in the ground means the less of them supply goes down, while demand can go up in the poor regions of the world. Should you give them access to it? Well, okay. I, I agreed with you already that the policies that we have, which reduce domestic supply, it is going to increase prices globally. Okay. Um, well, that helps the poor. I, I acknowledge that. Um, but there's also policies in our sort of green policy uh, toolkit that reduce domestic demand also, like uh, cap and trade policies or carbon tax policies, for example. Which, they, don't reduce, they don't reduce the demand. They make it more expensive. Which reduces demand domestically, right? But okay, let me let, let me let me let me explain how that translates, right? So right now I'm sitting in a house where I I'm not turning on the heating. I'm sitting in the cold. I'm wearing mm-hmm. like two jumpers because the energy is now very expensive in the UK, especially now over the winter. So in that sense, are you mean? Are, do you mean reducing demand that I have to sit in the cold or people who yes. can't afford? All right. So what happens to the people in Europe that have to make that? Are on fixed incomes or on low incomes, and have to make a choice between eating and paying for it and for heat. I mean, there's ways to address that. Like the government can. Is there really? Go on. I'm, I'm all ears. I mean, government can provide aid to low income people. No, it cannot. No, it cannot. It's very expensive. The UK tried to. The UK tried to do it. Carbon taxes. They can redistribute that money in a progressive way to help offset the increased costs. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's really very expensive to pay for everyone's uh, energy bills, especially now in the UK. You don't have to pay for everyone's. You have to pay for the people who literally cannot afford to keep themselves from They're freezing. too expensive. 
the trust I, government, I, I, the trust government, and, trust, and to get back to like the line that we started on is the, the, yes. Can I just have, add? Can I just add? A, can I just add a point? The carbon tax just makes. It, I'm I'm familiar with the cap and trade. I understand what it is that you're saying, but your your delusion. <laughs> if you think that there's enough money from the cap and trade to pay for for all the high energy prices we have in the UK, the 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 trust government that just got kicked out. Of, of let me just clear. let me just give an example, right? The trust government that was kicked out of office just like I don't know a month or two ago, a month ago, they wanted to give the highest energy uh, subsidies to, that any other countries in Europe by far, and, and it was just a cap. They just wanted to cap the energy prices at like two thousand five hundred pounds per year. So it's not. And they wanted like to give some help, but like they they obviously can't. Like they they don't have enough money to to weather the storm, even on a temporary temporary measure. And as a result of the high spending they wanted for energy caps, and they also want to reduce some taxes to stimulate the economy, the market saw this as something very negative, and they uh, started selling their uh, treasuries or what we say gilts. And the government okay, was kicked out in seven days. I, they don't I, have I the money needed for this. Not, the I'm money needed for this is, is absolutely immense. And it's delusional. Absolutely. De- so it, it seems to me that not only are you using your imagination to what's going to happen negatively in the future based on very extreme uh, models that do not necessarily reflect reality, even trends. It, it ignores trends you that mean, counter it. But you seem, to also, you seem to also be delusional about how much money it is for to to help people who are then stuck with the problem from these changes. It's it's an immense amount. The, the UK government does not have anywhere near that. The, the German government does not have anywhere near that. I mean, it's I don't even know how to how to address it. It's just so fictional that I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I've already I've already told you that I'm not talking about paying for energy for everyone in the country. Just the, poor. Just, just the poor, just the poor, extremely poor who you said are yeah. going to be even that you can't do death in their homes because they even can't, that you can't do don't have money to turn on the heater. Even I that you that can't do a targeted program to help subsidize the costs for the the very yeah, we'll poorest. Do, we're trying countries can mitigate a lot of that. We are trying to do that now. We are the government is trying to, and even then they don't have enough money. The UK doesn't. Germany doesn't have enough money, anywhere near the money needed for it. Okay, Even I mean, just targeted. I, I, it, think, it, I think we've probably talked about this enough. We can, I think, get back to what, what started this discussion, I guess, which is just uh, the fact that these green energy policies are primarily in wealthy countries, the impact that this will have on poorer countries. Um, but you haven't justified any of it. You, you, don't, you, have, you don't have any well, evidence for saying well, all, I have, all these things will happen. I mean, you, you, you didn't push back on the fact that these sort you of... You haven't like, given me any numbers. You haven't given me any figures. Well, you haven't given me... Any like uh, you've said the the best thing you've said is that there's some degree there's some degree of certainty that twenty that some countries will have twenty percent less fresh water. That is it. That's all you've given me. Um, you're saying well, okay. Let me let me just say this. You're saying we have to um spend spend trillions of dollars, hurt ourselves, hurt the poor in Europe, hurt in the in the present, hurt the poor. In, in in Africa and Asia in the present, because some some kind of scenario will happen in the future. I'm just asking you to justify it. I mean, I I feel like I have I haven't been able to give you the exact parts per million, but I've given you the exact temperature rises that we expected. And no, well, okay. So you're saying four percent? You're saying four Celsius is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's you know the range of the IPCC. And why should we? And why no should we? Two point eight uh, to six point two. And why should we reach 4% Celsius when we're actually going down in CO2 emissions in the West right now? Why should we even get close to that? 
we're going okay so i mean just to be clear we're going down in rate of emissions we're still increasing the concentration of co2 in the atmosphere at in a very sense? high rate in the sense that we're putting more co2 in the into the atmosphere than uh natural processes are taking out of the atmosphere so the concentration of co2 is increasing Right, but the four percent, the trend that you'll say, so we we can we can talk about uh, taking CO two out of the environment, but but the trend right now, you're saying it's four Celsius by twenty one hundred. Um, the trend That's is no not, the trend scenario. is the trend right now is not that we are doing things, so it's not going to reach four Celsius by twenty one hundred. Uh, no, no, that's if we if we stop our green policies now, which is what you're advocating for, I believe. We'd, right, we'd... You're, you're saying I understand. You're saying like the worst, the worst possible is forces, but even but even right now, the worst possible that that does factor in. Actually, if you look at the models, it does factor in that the rate of uh, emissions is actually decreasing even in that model. Just okay, as, so let, just let me explain. The fact that we have like cheaper alternatives available. Let, let me explain my position. There's no top-down government policies in that model. Let me explain my positions. Oh, there are there are top-down government policies right now. There are people that reduce. Uh, even willingly that reduce uh, emissions at the problem that we do still have a problem that poorer countries don't have access to energy because of what we're doing right now with green energy policies. But you're saying right now that if we take everything away, we'll reach four Celsius right on path right now, you would agree that we would not reach four Celsius in 2100, right? Even if we just stay in the same thing we're doing at the moment, not add, not subtract. Yeah. I believe that the one that they say for sort of, uh, continuing on like keeping our green energy policies and sort of following the trend of just the same um just the same yes i i think i mean i i recall that there's the no action scenario which is for i recall that there's like the current planned action like the things that we said in the paris accord they expect that to be around like between two and 2.5 okay um and by the way can I just add that even the two and two point five at some point there's a plan to go down like the the two and two point five one it won't keep rising it will then the heat will go down at some point there's like it will dip um well at some point sure but not for no a long within time. within the twenty one hundred up like up after twenty fifty twenty sixty the temperatures will go down no it's not true it will go if you look at the at the hold on let me just paste the models why am i why am I arguing While I look for the mod- for the IPCC model, are, are you sure you're not thinking like the rate of increase might go down, but the actual temperature the, continues the, to rise? The the two lowest or the three lowest uh, option uh, estimates at some point, like in 2050, 2060, the, the temperature oh, the, will start the lowest down. the lowest ones though. Those are those are like the highly optimistic, like the things that we have to do to these reach. Are right mo- these are all yeah, computer so models. Do. Like it's not optimism. It's all it's all just. You know, guess have optimistic assumptions to create. Right. And would you would you agree that none of the models that you have factor in adaptation? It's just a fact, actually. Um, well, adaptation has nothing to do with what the actual temperature is. Adaptation has to do with the negative impact, like the economic cost that those temperatures will have, and how yeah, people. But, right. The, but, the models of like actual temperature adaptation, right, but, the, but the temperature adaptations are doing right, but. So you're yes, taking, you're taking the temperature increases. An, you're taking the temperature increases and extrapolating that all these bad things will happen as a result of the temperature. I agree, it doesn't. But uh, 
you're extra extrapolating from that, and, uh, but the extrapolation do not factor in adaptation. Is that correct? Well, kind of and kind of not, because the things that I'm extrapolating to, like, uh, you know, the reduction in freshwater access, the increase in desert regions, those, mm -hmm. those don't care about our adaptations. What the adaptations okay, sure. do, is they say, okay, when these things happen, how big of a negative impact are they going to have on the people that it affects? Which I sure. agree, yeah, that's where adaptation comes in. But the things I was talking about, like um, the, well, I'm just uh, saying, I'm just saying, the models in general, the models in general that do not factor in adaptation. So the figure that I said at the start that there's 98 percent less death from climate-related deaths, those are not factored into the uh, models. I I still don't know what you were talking about with the 98. I, sh oh, I showed you a trend and you agreed with it. I showed you a graph and you agreed with it that over time, human, you know, just from, from better the, technology, the better, better use of machinery, better use of infrastructure. Okay. Yes, I agreed with that, but I also don't think that that's particularly relevant to... Uh, it's, it's very relevant to the, to the increases in temperature. If, for example, temperature increase, let's say just for arguments, if, if we say temperature increases, but we're able to get everyone in the country a fan or an air conditioner, which I'm just, just a hypothetical, yeah? Everyone in the country that, that now has like more heat has a fan and, and, uh, and, and uh, air conditioning and they have concrete houses or brick houses. And, you know, one or two months of the year, it's very hot, but they can adapt to it through these mechanisms. Then, you know, no deaths will occur, just, just as a hypothetical. I mean, I, I sure. And if, for example, I, even, I now, even now, to but... reduce deaths from uh, cold, if like everyone in the country has a brick house, everyone in the country all of a sudden, like from, from mud huts to brick houses, yeah, has like uh, heating in their home, then let's say a thousand sure. people died a year from cold. Now there's 10. Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. So adaptation does, does have a factor in, to, in terms of like yeah, of uh, course. ability and adaptation has an impact. Okay. And I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying that those, that adaptation is not included in the climate models, in the computer models. Well, <laughs> I mean, okay, let's, this goes back to what I was saying before. Of course, adaptation has no impact on the temperature. Adaptation has no impact on the frequency of natural disasters. Of course, it has no impact. Of course, it's not part of those models. Right, but let's say even if you had a flood or you had hurricanes, well, let's say, let's just look at the graph for a second. What does it say? So let's say there's floods, droughts, storms, wildfires, and extreme temperatures. So let's say, Floods can obviously be helped by, you know, adaptations and a, a variety of things. Take, for example, ha Haiti or Bangladesh versus, I don't know, yeah. Netherlands. Droughts, we have, like, technology to either uh, make use of less water to be able to irrigate, or we can uh, transport food from other plots that are able to produce it better. Storms, theory, roughly, storms yeah. are roughly the same as they were in the 1930s. They haven't gone up or down. It's roughly the same. But let's say we do have a storm. So obviously, like, I, I need a source moving people, moving people really from if we have like lots of vehicles to move people out when the storm's happening. And then when the storm is finishing, we, we go back and rebuild the houses and we can save lives. Wildfires in the same way. So obviously, like adapting to the environment will save people's lives. Like you, you can make I mean, a claim it, that that, you know, it will cost more. But but obviously the, the deaths will go down. Right. Um, yes, adaptation does reduce deaths from climate. Yes, cool. but okay, I can, I can answer all the problems wrong with like your implications from this, which are that 
you this this like full climate proof infrastructure doesn't happen overnight and these regions sure. that are going to be most badly affected by climate are also a lot of times the poorest regions and, and you that's can't just, why you can't just build up their infrastructure to like european or american levels overnight and even I, I then agree. it's not clear it's enough in a lot of situations the areas look, that I, are I, that are I, in sub-saharan africa that are going to become desert over the next 50 years it's not clear that even if those people were in the united states that we'd have the means that'd be like make any economic sense to like build a saharan desert city like it just you keep, seems you like, keep referring to this to the sahara desert as if i'm required to now make the whole sahara desert green or else climate or else i've failed in the all, argument all I, don't, I don't know why people, you keep referring. there's people currently living in regions that have arable land that are in the, the Sahara Desert, so they're going to. Exp- my, my no, job they're is- not currently in the Sahara Desert, but increasing temperatures are going to expand the desert, and these regions okay, will no may- longer. May- maybe the Sahara Desert will creep out on the edges. Maybe, maybe that's right, but it's not like it's a. It's not maybe. It's just like it's just okay. Maybe sure. that will happen, but like we're talking about like vast continents here, not just that that particular part of the, not just the, the that saharan desert i mean yeah we could get into there that's just one specific example because but you keep harping on that one example as if like because you asked you you told me at some point during this debate you said give me a specific example and i did and that was the one i gave i was kind of hoping when you said that for example i was kind of i was kind of hoping that you give me something like a co2 threshold in terms of a specific example you you keep saying temperature but let's but let's say let's take your climate model so we agreed the climate models don't factor in uh, human adaptation. They just do not. Climate models of are made on computer not. models. Of we we they, agreed. We agreed. They, Hold what's on. your point? I, let, me, let, me, let, let me. Let me. Let me. Let me answer your. Adaptation. Let me answer. Trader, let me just answer your previous point about we can't. You, you just these people need. Like let me just answer. Trader, trader. Let me just answer your previous point about we need these people need infrastructure sooner rather than later. I agree. They need infrastructure sooner rather than later. And I think we shouldn't hamper them in their ability to do so. I think we should help them build their infrastructure as soon as humanly possible. We should give them all the, the methods in doing so. In addition, energy. Give them energy to be able to build up their infrastructure and to be able to help to help them help themselves and, and protect them from the environment. So I think so and I but and I dis, and I disagree. If, and if I disagree the, that we should the allow them infrastructure. I, I am saddened. I am saddened that people are, are dying now from from relatively preventable things that if they were able to be to improve their economy to improve their infrastructure unhindered then they would be able to live better lives and and you know improve their their whole environment and everyone around them i'm saddened that that we even have to have a situation right now where people have to die for a cause that's fictional in 50 or 100 years that we don't necessarily know it's like a, an extreme case or catastrophic case that we don't know will be even even in the, even in the so I I think I think models. we should let those people these things are happening. I think we should let those people happen. I think we should let those people build their infrastructure, build their economy unhindered, give them access to energy, not let them collapse like in the case of Sri Lanka, because obviously that makes things worse now in terms of even even if you want to like send aid from from the West, that is still a lot worse if the country just collapsed economically and and, and politically. Okay, so I so, think I think we should I think so and, and I, the price of and the price of, of fossil fuel yeah. was the main was a main or the main factor to that happening. Okay. We just now the one other point the one other point I wanted to ask is okay. so I'm I'm gonna make a claim, right? During during the past on planet Earth, there was 
periods of time where we had 6,000 CO2 parts per million, which was largely tropical areas for many millions of years. Like during the dinosaurs, yeah. it was. And, and, there and it, wasn't, it wasn't like, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how many people lived around the Sahara Desert or even if the Sahara Desert was, was where it is at the moment. But we had had parts on the planet and we had 6,000 parts per million. They, so, they, were not, they were not humans around at this time. Right, there I were dinosaurs. I, I, I admit there were no humans yeah, there around. Were dinosaurs. They, had, they, were, they were dinosaurs. They weren't people. Right, but the planet it, didn't it like burn. The planet didn't like burn in like a, a hot pole of no. Uh, no one's saying that. And it was planet. slightly and and it, uh, it was slightly more tropical overall than it is now. And if you put the dinosaurs in the modern climate, they would have a really bad time, I imagine. Right. So, but if 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 we had a slightly more tropical planet for millions of years in the future, at six thousand parts per million, then why are all these catastrophic models now? Why are we saying from 400, if we double 400 to 800, okay, then, I mean, you know, mass, millions of people will die. Everything will be desert. It should be obvious, I guess, but uh, maybe I have to say it, is that the, the issue is how fast it's changing and that things adapt for their current environment. And if their current environment changes very quickly, then they are put at risk because they're, you know, they... And especially in like humans cases, we have we built up infrastructure for all this stuff for arable regions being where they are, for people settling where they are, all these things are going to have to change. And even though there will be some land opening up up north on net, we are losing resources in arable land. And I mean, even besides all of that, are, are we having issues with point, producing food? Your general point, your general are we having issues with producing food? Of course, it's true that uh, four degrees. What is your claim? Planet, sorry, I'll, what is the claim? Let's say. Let me just let me just what finish is the addressing claim here? Sorry. your like really really bad scientific point about about like CO two levels and sustaining life. Like, of course, a planet that's four degrees warmer than today is fully capable of supporting an extremely diverse biosphere, lots of life, all of that, but not the current biosphere. The current biosphere is adapted for this this level of heating. That's why the IPCC, here's another number for you. They say that at four degrees, 39% of terrestrial species are going to be at high risk of extinction in at four degree warming. Okay, let me, answer your, let me answer your point. Look, let me, let me answer your point. So to some degree, we are getting better and better in producing food on less and less land. We are, and that, that has two implications. One, we're able to feed more of the population, but in addition, we are seeing higher greening on the plant because we don't need as much land to produce as much food. We, we are, I think actually it's, it's at least a tipping point that we need less land now. Um, we are, there's a higher diversity of species because we are leaving green areas where they can then populate. So there is, uh, no, not, there is an index. This is true. There is a NASA. There is a NASA. There is a NASA index for the greening of the planet. A greening of the planet. Exactly. Yes. That doesn't mean that there is more biodiversity. But it there is there is going to the, be the, there is the, more the biodiversity the factor. More plant is, life. But this is a narrow band of all the species that are going to be thriving, and we're losing biodiversity at like a very very fast rate. Well, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that the biodiversity is the reason why to let thousands of people die in the present. In any case. <laughs> But again, we are producing enough. We are producing enough food, or currently, like we we still need to work on the logistics of transporting it from point A to point B, where they don't have a lot of it. But we are able to, through technology, through adaptation, produce more food on on less land. Um, 
And as a result, like the there is a greening of the planet, as I mentioned through even from NASA indexes about greening of the planet. Uh, yeah, these areas that are now left away from making food, they're able they're able to sustain life from diversity. But I don't I'm not sure that biodiversity is a reason to again let thousands of people die in the present. That's not the only reason. Go on. And I mean the the issue too is like even if there is greening of the planet, I agree there is. Okay. Um, that's not really relevant for uh, for humans because the areas that we used to grow crops are no longer going to be able to support those crops. And people are going to have to, a lot of the infrastructure we built up in areas that are now going to be much more difficult to live in. Uh, we're so I just to told you we produce more food around. than we ever have. Today? Yeah, make yeah. the claim that that will go down? Uh, I believe it will. So we are now able to produce more, more food on less land through more adaptation in the, in the present. Are you saying that at some point we're able to use less food? Or are you saying that specific groups of people that use very primitive farming methods will struggle? Um, well, a little bit of both, because a lot of the regions that we currently have, the farming infrastructure, are not going to be great for, the, uh, for growing food anymore. We can, farm food. We, we can, we can make food in, in, a, in a warehouse. Okay, but we have to rebuild this infrastructure. And the infrastructure we had is not going to be productive anymore. A warehouse is just, it's not, it's just like, you know, I mean, metal sheets. Yeah, metal sheets like our, our food infrastructure, our agriculture infrastructure is just, it comes down to a warehouse. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, we, we, I'm giving you extreme examples. We can make food in a warehouse in a city. We can make food on arid land on land with drip food. irrigation. But you're saying... We, Food is a concern, yes? You're saying food is a very big issue. Yes, yes. Well, I, disagree, big... I disagree, and there's no evidence to say that. I mean, you can say that you can say that people, you can make the claim that people using very primitive farming methods and they don't have access to tractors and they use an ox well, to, to, pull, to pull a plow or something, they will struggle more. Right? You can say that they will struggle more, but I don't see how you can make the claim that, you know, using these more advanced and developed agricultural methods that there is an issue for growing food. I mean, we're talking about the global poor, right? The global poor aren't building these like. They, yeah, drip, drip irrigation can reach. Drip irrigation isn't expensive enough that it's outside the reach. Okay, they're the they're poor. in regions where they their agriculture depends on climate. Is that like too crazy of a statement to make, or would you agree with that? That the the technology, the technology that the technology climate, that they're just very. Let, let me let me just let me just has a big change in their yield. Let me just do it in a different way, right? So just just on synthetic fertilizer alone, the fact that we use it ju just means that any land you use doesn't have enough nutrients. I mean, maybe some organic, but in general, most lands won't be able to 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 give enough uh, nutrients to in the soil for the plants to grow as fast as we are growing them currently. The fact that we're using synthetic fertilizer means we are artificially taking natural gas, making ammonia putting it in the soil, giving it to the plants okay. so they grow faster and have more nutrients. So the yeah, whole I, process is artificial. Fertilizer works, yeah. Okay. The whole, I'm just saying the whole process is artificial already. It was not the whole process. It's not like, it's not like just the fertilizer. Sure, but like, we, like we, have a lot of we have a lot of influence anywhere. over it. That it's, you know, that we're well, producing <laughs> these massive amounts of food through... Yes, and it's highly... It's, 
just because we have fertilizer, it, that does increase our yields, yes, but you still need the climate to support the crops. And that's a very important thing is having the right climate. Okay, but, but you're saying the climate will change so much. Because we're producing a lot of food right now that we need even less land than we did in the past, recently. And you're saying the climate will change so much that these advanced areas will have issues growing food, even though we, we can adapt to it relatively easily, even, even if it's warmer, even if we need to use slightly less water like they do in California right now, for example. Even if we do all things, we, we can still produce enough food, more than enough food, uh, for for everyone now again I'm I'm putting aside for a second like people that have very poor uh, areas and, and they rely on on subsistence farming like the whole the whole country is still like 90 percent you know third world developing country subsistence farming I'm putting that aside for one second but I can, I can address that as well but like all the developed worlds that, that have all these advanced agriculture techniques you're saying that they will suffer as well they they will have an issue and they, as a result produce less food uh, I, I think the U.S. will continue to be able to produce enough food for its population. Okay, so we're, we're talking about countries with 90% agriculture, yes? Subsistence farmers. Uh, I mean, yeah, that'd be a good example of areas that are going to be affected by the changes in, you know. Great. So what, what, what dollar a day figure or what GDP figure would these people surpass this issue? What What... If if the country goes above a certain GDP, they have access to these technologies and they're able to produce food. And you know, as a result, obviously, of people being more productive, we're producing food, and we we move from a, a first world to a second world to a first world where just two percent of the population produced food and everyone else does services or what. Well, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it isn't just how how much GDP do they have. A lot of it is they're just in regions which are right. But I I just I just US, explained that if you move Europe. away from if you move away from 90% uh, people working in agriculture and subsistence farming and then just 2% of the people producing enough food for everyone else to eat so they can then, you know, go on their laptops and make Twitter or whatnot. So what, what like, GDP point does the country have to go, out, go past for less so people to need to make... To well, my, my answer is that that's, like, that's, that's not really... I mean, that's a factor, but that's not all that matters. Do you mean, understand what I mean from going to a third world country to a second to a first? I understand. Yes, I understand. I understand so, what that so, means. Let so me, let me people, just say why, why it's not just that factor only. Because the, okay, uh, okay. But, fewer, but as a result of this shift from third to second, fewer people need to work in agriculture. A lot, a lot less because it's, you know, they're using tractors. It's mechanized now. The, and, you know... A lot less people need to work in agriculture. As a result, a lot less land is required. A lot less resources required to produce more food. <clears throat> is that, is it that accurate matter, to say or it not? It doesn't matter if all of your country's area is now non-arable land. Do, do, I'm not sure how we got to that point. Did do, do, do you understand because what I mean? I can, if you let me talk, I can tell you. Because okay. a lot of these regions which are poor are also equatorial regions. And equatorial regions are going to be the ones that have the worst impact in terms of like how their uh, agricultural capacity is going to be impacted. The U.S. has a lot of like, you know, high uh, latitude areas, which are going to be less badly impacted. Great. Okay. Um, the U.S. will still have like a decent agricultural. I, and, path, I, and, I understand. Like so in these in these equatorial countries, in these equatorial countries. So let's say right now there's an equatorial country, and ninety percent of the people 
are involved in subsistence farming so they can feed themselves and perhaps maybe a little bit more to feed their neighbors and the other 10% are doing something other than agriculture. If, if they move, if they improve their economy, they have access to energy, they're able to improve their economy and now they are a second, second world country and, and only 10% of the people or 20% of the people need to be the ones producing food. Would it then make sense to say that those 20% of the people don't need as much land as the 90% did before, they're able to produce more food on less land, or in this case, a lot less land, like a like a, a quarter of a quarter less land. They can produce more food, and then the food that they produce goes to other parts, other people who are now working, let's say, in factories, but they're not producing food. They're working in a factory, but they are able to get f- more, get food from less land, less part of the population. Even if some part of the country became less arid. Some other part of the country did not, because we need now a quarter of the land we needed before. What if all of the land in the country? Well, see now, now not, we're just going with the uh, catastrophic uh, extremes, now, aren't we? This isn't catastrophic extremes. This is even even their even their mild estimate says that these countries that are close to the equator are going to become. Uh, some of them are going to have no arable land, and a lot of them are just going to become far far less. Uh, productive agriculturally it, even if you offset it with like they have drip irrigation it's not going to be enough right so i'm i'm saying that if you improve the economy of a country and less people need to farm they need those less people need to farm it on less land because before most people were yeah, farming I understand what you're saying. yeah, it's a yeah and, and it would make sense that if they that if they okay. need less land or, or or a quarter of the land they needed before they would choose the most productive land for agriculture available to them in the country. Yeah. So it would make sense that even if, like, let's say, half the country became arable land, there's still the other half to rely on, and we only need half of the half. Sure. And even then we can use, well, they'd have to, they'd use more advanced technologies, synthetic fertilizer, drip all the good stuff they used to produce more food on that smaller area of land mm-hmm. okay so i think right, i think uh, kind of in agreement, a, well let's not put words in his mouth here but uh, i think that is a good segue into our closing statements um so we'll have reverse order again so we'll have trader go first with closing statements try to keep them uh under two minutes here and then just like last time, after we do our closing statements, I'll put a poll in the voice chat. If you were here for the vast majority of the debate, uh, then you can vote in that poll. Um, and then after that, we'll do the same thing as last time, which is we'll open the floor to anyone else who wants to jump in on the conversation. But of course, uh, PZH and Trader would be uh, not at all obliged to continue participating themselves. That would be up to them. All right, uh, Trader, you've got about two minutes for closing statement. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I guess my closing statement is that, you know, the topic of debate was on balance, whether um, green policies hurt the global poor. I say they don't. And the reason is just looking to the future effects of climate change. Um, I think that they are going to be drastic, especially in a case where we stop all green policy altogether. it seems like PZH really focused in on the idea that uh, 
unmitigated climate change actually won't be that bad because countries can uh, adapt to it by improving their economies and doing different adaptation strategies. Um, I think that this is very unrealistic because the countries that are going to be hit worse with climate change are also the poorest countries. And just not using green energy policies in the nations that currently have them isn't going to slingshot these countries to high levels of development where they now have entire agricultural systems in the middle of a desert and they have giant seawalls that are protecting all their coastal lands um, and they're building, you know, new cities for everyone to escape the 125 degree heat in. I don't think that that's at all realistic. And I think the more realistic case is going to be the one that is described by the IPCC in their moderate uh, model, not their extreme one, their normal one, which predicts that there's going to be a, a minimum tens of millions of climate migrants by 2050. Um, it's going to be a human disaster of unprecedented scale. And we can do something now by continuing our climate policies that we have and adding new ones. All right, PZH, closing statement. Uh, yeah, so uh, Trado's technical position is the more extreme, catastrophic version uh, in the future. It's not not the moderate. I'm not sure why he's saying it is. It's the there is a catastrophic computer model in prediction in the future that we need to take action now that that costs people um, trillions and trillions of dollars, freezes people in Europe in the present, hurts poor countries in the pre present doesn't let them improve their own economy, doesn't let them improve their own infrastructure, reduces their access to uh, lower-cost energy to be able to do that. I, I think that is, maybe I got a bit heated, but I think that is immoral. I think we should be helping uh, these countries uh, help themselves by giving them access to cheaper energy so they can Im improve their economy, improve the quality of life. I think that these policies in general are to, to a large degree, nonsense. I think it causes a lot of suffering, especially to the global poor. We've tried to demonstrate that by by uh, showing about human adaptation and how we can overcome. I've tried to to show that that uh, there isn't really a consensus on the extreme catastrophic side of the climate change, and um, we need to use more common sense models, more. Um, cooler heads with regards to this because it has wide-reaching effect on, on the planet.